This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we are social distancing. You are at your house in East Vancouver, isolating. And I am uh, at my house in East Vancouver, also isolating. (laughs) We were going to do uh, the regular meetup on the... uh on your balcony, but I think uh, the guys playing beer pong at the beach over the weekend ruined that for us. So we're, we're now doing full on social, social isolation. I haven't actually checked the news today, but my understanding is, is mayor Kennedy Stewart has now uh, enforced that you're not allowed to congregate for podcasting. That's right. Yeah. That, that's right. That's right. That's my understanding as well. <laughs> and we definitely want to play it safe uh, here at the Vancouver real estate podcast, as we have been doing. Right. But, uh, but that doesn't mean we don't have a great interview. No, we have a phenomenal episode today. Actually, it's one of my favorites uh, we've had in a long time, just because uh, we really appreciate this guest, Brendan Lacerda. He is the Associate Director and Senior Economist with Moody's Analytics. Yeah, and Moody's Analytics, they, they have the website economy.com. Everybody probably knows uh, Moody's, but Brendan's out of Philadelphia, and uh, he focuses on the, he's an American who focuses on uh, forecasting the Canadian economy. Right. So it's, it's really great to have that outsider uh, looking in and uh, especially in these moments where those guys are running all sorts of scenarios as to how, how this COVID-19 thing plays out. 
And, uh, and he's a really, really bright guy. So fantastic to have Brendan back on the show. Yeah, Matt. And, uh, we cover a lot in this episode and really it's, it's, uh, Moody, uh, just to give a, a bit of foreshadowing here, Moody has basically said there's, there's no avoiding a, a, a recession at this point. That's right. Yeah. We, so, we've moved, uh, pretty quickly into, uh, the inevitable here. And and we basically we discuss all things about what that means for Vancouver real estate, the Canadian economy, the global economy, and there's actually some real projections and some uh, some I would say educated predictions. Educated prediction predictions on house prices in Vancouver, number one. Right, exactly. Uh, also timelines, how long this takes uh, to turn a corner here, what it looks like uh, six months from now, a year from now, three to five years from now. Um, so stay tuned. This is a fantastic episode. But before we get to our conversation with Brendan, Matt, we always have the Oakland tip. That is our real estate brokerage, Oakland Realty. Fantastic place to be. Fantastic people over there. The Oakland tip this week is about GST. Did you know that additional GST may be applicable on flipped properties where new properties which have just completed are resold? Make sure to ask your realtor or I would say more importantly, your accountant about what this could mean to you in the transaction. Did you just say realtor? Because I, I think I heard realtor. Yeah, I heard the dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you heard me wrong. I did not. I did oh, yeah. not. I could have sworn there was, a, there was a realtor. Pet peeve of many, of many yeah. in the industry. That's true. <laughs> um, so Matt, just, uh, just quickly, um, you know, Every time we have the Oakland tip, we have an, a tip of our own. And uh, we both have been social distancing here. Uh, I know there's probably been some work done, uh, but definitely uh, some, <laughs> some movies watched, movies watched <laughs> uh, television watched. And uh, yeah, do, do you have any tips for anyone? You know what? I'm only halfway through this, uh, this movie, but this is actually really interesting. So this is uh, Apple TV's uh, new original, The Banker. Is it a movie or a series? It's a movie. A movie about uh, an African-American guy kind of taking on the racist world of real estate in, in the U.S. in the 60s. But he he comes up shining shoes in Texas uh, from what I've seen. And, uh, and man, it's got some, some pretty... Uh, pretty sophisticated real estate stuff in this movie. So it's an exciting, an exciting flick. And one, I, I haven't seen a real estate movie like this since, uh, what was the, what was the last real estate movie we talked about on the show? Oh, guy, one, 100 homes or 100, 100 homes. Was that? Yeah. That's oh, I forgot about flick. that movie. That, that was a great movie. Go back, go back and watch that. But the banker just came out and, uh, I started it late last night and, uh, Super excited to uh, to spend the rest of the afternoon watching them. Actually, that that one hundred homes is that I, I I might be way off on the title of that, but uh, that movie actually is timely too because that was coming out of the '08 recession. That exactly, exactly. Yeah. I'm gonna secret is of course uh, self quarantining. Uh, maybe I'll Google it myself here. Yeah, Google it, and while you're googling it, I'll give my tip. For this okay, week. Okay, hold on, Adam. Hold on, yeah. Adam. Uh, you are close. It's actually ninety nine homes. <laughs> I, I just uh, I just added one for good measure. That's uh, that's uh, yeah. It is a great movie. Ninety nine homes. Okay. Um, and Matt, I'm going to throw a tip in this week as well, just because I know a lot of people are are staying home and uh, everybody's limited on supplies. And I'm going to suggest 
that uh, local breweries are still doing delivery. Um, and uh, specifically, I we just we just ordered from Strathcona Brewery. I think it was a five dollar delivery charge. They would not accept a tip. Um, they just are happy to keep selling their beer to you. Um, and there's some phenomenal breweries, of course, all over Vancouver. So this is likely happening in other municipalities as well. But if you're itching to have a beer um, in isolation, you might want to check with your local craft breweries and, of course, support local businesses. Absolutely. That, that's, a, that's a great tip. You might even want to try one of those IPAs while you watch the banker. Oh, yeah. the You know what? The IPA specifically from Strathcona Brewery uh, is only 5.5%. So no fat tug concerns. <laughs> well, maybe we should cut to our talk with Brendan Lacerda. This is a, a longer conversation, but that's a real positive thing in this case uh, because there's a lot to glean from uh, a guy like Brendan Lacerda when it comes to COVID-19 and, and the economic fallout. This is, yeah, incredibly informative interview with Brendan and so happy that he was able to uh, join us on the show. You're really going to enjoy this one. Our interview with Brendan Lacerda from Moody's Analytics. Okay, so we're here with Brendan Lacerda, Associate Director and Senior Economist at Moody Analytics. How you doing, Brendan? I guess as well as can be. Right. <laughs> sounds like a, sounds like everybody else. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time today, Brendan. Really appreciate it. Brendan, can you can you maybe start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I am the I'm a senior economist at Moody's Analytics. Uh, so you know, I think most people are familiar with Moody's as the bond rating organization. Um, I do not rate bonds. Uh, I work in the analytics division, and we produce economic forecasts. Uh, you know, primarily we produce uh, different alternative scenarios. Um, particularly, what we deal with is we work with banks uh, in stress testing and helping banks and financial institutions uh, prepare for you know, economic downturns. You know, making sure they have enough capital to. Uh, go through a recession or a severe economic crisis, which, you know, we seem to be on the precipice of at the moment. So maybe we can talk about the the economic crisis here. <laughs> um, what, at least timestamping this from March 23rd, because it seems like the situation's changing almost by the hour, but definitely by the day. Uh, what what at this point, Brendan, does does the COVID nineteen crisis mean for the global economy? Uh, you know, not to not to sugarcoat it or anything, but uh, it's it seems in- increasingly likely that we are about to enter a global recession. There, there just seems no way of avoiding it, uh, given the amount of economic economic activity that has uh, disappeared. I mean, big picture, the way the way I'm trying to think about this and analyze it is I, I think we really need to think of the current crisis in two waves. The first wave is, is what we're going through right now, um, basically the public health emergency, uh, you know, the quarantines, the lockdowns, you know, the closures of school, you know, the shelter in place, so a lot of scary words being thrown around. But um, it's, it's just we've, we've hit the pause button on the economy. I think, you know, as, as this evolves, we, we, we should be, you know, becoming even more concerned about the second wave. And that is 
the likely credit crunch and the rise in unemployment? Because the, the question we have to ask ourselves right now is, you know, how long can businesses hold on for when they have zero revenue? Um, you know, maybe if, if you're a big enough corporation, you know, you have access to credit markets, you know, a line of credit from, you know, other you know, banks. Um, but, but for small businesses, you know, even if you can borrow, does it even make sense? I mean, what's, you know, if, if you're a small business, are, are you really going to pile up, you know, you know, millions of dollars in debt just to survive? And, you know, the answer is no. And that's going to mean layoffs. And when that starts happening, you know, then the question is, you know, how, how bad does that get? And I think that's what, you know, what I've been really focused on recently and, and, and the other economists I work with. And, and is, are we still in that? I mean, obviously, it's a wait and see moment in, in some respects, but, but what are your thoughts on how bad that gets? It's, I mean, it, it's hard to say, you know, I'm, I'm watching the news with everyone else. Um, you hear a lot of speculation. Uh, I mean, the, the fact is, you know, no one's really operating with a lot of hard data at this point. Uh, so <laughs> a lot of speculation. You know, one of one of the things we're really keeping our eye on, you know, a really pivotal, pivotal day uh, will actually be this Thursday. Uh, that's when the United States will announce uh, initial unemployment claims. And we'll start to get a sense of how big those layoffs are, you know, how bad this is going to be. In terms of, you know, what, what our current forecast looks like, uh, it looks like an average recession. So for, you know, Vancouver, uh, you know, that means unemployment, you know, maybe going back for back back somewhere up to, you know, 8%, you know, possibly 9%. Um, so we're not, I mean, this is, our forecast is not currently like this is the end of days. Um, I, I think, you know, people who kind of are, you, you've seen numbers, you know, the Federal Reserve, some economists from the Federal Reserve have speculated, you know, oh, you know, unemployment rates of, you know, 20 or 30 percent. I'm not there yet. So right now my call is, you know, it's going to be a recession. It's, it's going to be, you know, as, as bad as the ones we've seen in the past. Uh, but at, at this point, I'm not ready to say, as I said, that, you know, the apocalypse is upon us. You mentioned that uh, you mentioned that you know it, it may be similar to other recessions in the past. Is there a historical moment that that you guys are currently looking at for guidance? Uh, yeah, I, I think you can look at the last recession for a fair amount of guidance, uh, and, and that goes back to what I was discussing before. And hey, we we can take sort of a you know a little stroll down history lane and say, you know, let's think about how the last crisis evolved. It started in the housing market. You know, housing prices started to fall. You know, foreclosures. You know, some mortgage loans started going bad. Those were the initial days when it really became the really bad recession that you know we're all more familiar with now. Is is when it became a credit crunch, when those bad loans and you know the amount of leverage that was in the financial system. You know, once you know the banks started going under, Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns it cascaded and started infecting other banks. So in, in terms of the real permanent or, or not permanent, but more long lasting economic damage, it's a question of you know, how much does the current shutdown turn into a you know, long grinding, you know, painful recession 
because, you know, we have lots of bankruptcies and, and, and businesses are going under. Um, I was I was discussing this with a client the other day and I was trying to make the point that, you know, it, it's it's a lot, you know, it's a lot easier for a business to go from 100 employees to zero employees. You know, every, everyone gets laid off. It's a lot harder to you know, start from zero employees and, and grow your business up to 100. So the real question is, you know, is, is it just the case that this is a you know, shorter lived crisis that you know, workers will be furloughed or you know, temporarily laid off and, and they'll have the same job to go back to before? But if that job disappears, then you, know, you have to get back on the labor market. You have to start searching. You know, it takes time for people to find the right job, for firms to hire people. Um, so the longer that this current shutdown goes on for, the more permanent and, and slower the recovery is going to be. Last time we had you on, uh, Brendan, was in 2018, uh, so a couple years back. And uh, you painted a, a fairly scary picture then, which now seems like a rosy picture, uh, in terms of uh, indebtedness in Canada, but also uh, government indebtedness. Uh, and you're mentioning kind of people being over leveraged. Are we are we better situated today uh, to handle this crisis? Um, you know, going into it than say we were in 2008. We are in a we are in a slightly better position. So I'll, I'll be <laughs> barely more optimistic than I was the last time we spoke. Uh, the reason being that you know, looking you know, I've been monitoring uh, you know, credit growth in Canadian households. Um, that doesn't seem to, you know, it, Canadians have slowed down the pace of their borrowing. You know, the, the, the labor market had been picking up, wage growth had been accelerating. So, you know, there were some positive signs emerging. Um, I think I'm, 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 I'm a little less focused on Canadian household debt and more focused on the labor market because, after the last time we spoke, I, I after the last time we spoke, I I did a, I put together a research paper because I actually wanted to analyze this question, and I, I was looking at you know what what drives home prices. You know, bottom line, you know, we were very concerned about this bubble in Canada. So, what would really cause prices to turn? So, you know, in terms of debt and debt service obligations, I looked at okay, you know, what if we shock the economy and raise interest rates? You know, it's, it's, you know, if interest rates spike, you know, that causes house prices to drop. But, you know, overall, not that much because, you know, what my analysis showed was, you know, at the end of the day, if your monthly payment increases, you, you can adjust your household finances. You can, you know, go out to eat less, you know, less discretionary spending, and, and you can make it work. The problem is when you lose your job, there's no reworking the household finances that are going to keep you payment or keep you current on your payment. Um, and sort of crunching the numbers and put it all together, the magic number ended up being four. Uh, and what I, mean, what I mean by that is I calculated the, the elasticity between the unemployment rate and home prices. But the question is, if unemployment goes up one percentage point, how much would house prices fall? And the answer is, for every, the answer I got was every one percentage point increase in unemployment, house prices, we, sh we should expect house prices to drop uh, four percentage points. So if we want to take that analysis and translate it into our current situation, uh, if 
Unemployment in Vancouver is currently about four, four and a half percent. In a bad recession, you know, it's going close to nine percent. Uh, that five percentage point change means about 20 percent drop in home prices. So, I mean, that, that's a little more of a scary picture. So, I guess, I guess I'm, you know, still a little bit of pessimist on that front. Uh, but it's, it's the, the labor market is the linchpin of the housing market. And, and that's what we really need to try to figure out is how high is unemployment going to go in Vancouver, in British Columbia? That, that's interesting because uh, I remember last time we were speaking, you know, it was in 2018 when, yeah, when we were all afraid that, that interest rates were, were going up. Um, and now obviously that's, uh, that's of no concern, but um, yeah, unemployment to that. That's actually, a, that's kind of a useful uh, one to four. That's, that's a useful, uh, uh, that's a useful measure. In, yeah, in form, formally in economics, we call that the, the elasticity between home prices and unemployment. I guess another question for you, are, is there a region in, in Canada that's, that's most vulnerable here? Absolutely. Um, we've been doing some analysis on the subnational regions in the U.S. and Canada, trying to figure out where uh, the, the pain is likely to be most severe, and also trying to connect that to you know, the economic structure of you know, local economies. And also looking you know, more globally, uh, one of the, I think one of the most concerning things is that the, the, cities, the cities that were the most globally interconnected, which also happen to be the fastest growing cities, um, you know, Vancouver, Toronto, San Francisco, New York City, Seattle. Well, if we, if we maybe use the United States as an example, what we're seeing is that these globally interconnected cities are becoming the hotspots for infection. And in, core, and in turn, that's going to mean that they're going to need the strongest public health responses, you know, the greatest degree of you know, shelter-in-place, lockdown, uh, the decline in business activity. Um, it also you know, sort of interconnected with the fact that you know, tourism, leisure, and hospitality are larger industries in those global interconnected cities. So on one hand, we would expect more economic pain there. Secondly, you know, it's, you, you can see too, you know, commodity prices have, particularly energy prices have crashed. Um, you know, it's, oil has rarely tested these levels. And also, also interesting, you know, some of, some of the economic analysis we've done for the United States is that, you know, the more rural areas that have been, in some sense, you know, left behind, there's a bit of a silver lining now that it's a little bit of a saving grace that they are left you know, connected to the broader economy. Right. Um, so in terms of, you know, bottom line, where do we see the most economic pain? Uh, I would expect, you know, Vancouver, uh, Alberta, Edmonton um, and Calgary, and also Toronto. There's not, I said, so probably, there's not a ton of economic data out yet, but we did get the retail sales numbers for Canada on Friday. And the biggest drop in retail sales was in Vancouver, down 1.8%. In so those numbers are for January, and it seems pretty clear that you know at that point in time, the outbreak was mostly contained to China. You know China was on lockdown, travel restrictions. So clearly, just the drop in Asian tourism alone 
just took you know two percent off retail sales in Vancouver, and so and we're likely to expect that number to be worse. Wow, that that's interesting. So it sounds like uh, potentially a way to think about this is not necessarily how will Canada fare in relation to the United States or or the rest of the world, but it but it's almost uh, region focused. Um, like the fact that Canada or that Vancouver's a, a you know service based in a lot of ways, uh, hotspot for tourism and uh, and and open uh, kind of the the largely celebrated idea of the global city is is going to mean we're going to fare worse. I uh, yeah I, I would expect so. I think the bank the. I mean, at, at first, I was more maybe more concerned about Vancouver's linkages to um, the over you know, the, the economies of Asia. Um, given you know, it seems like things are you know seem to be improving in China. You know, seem to be improving in South Korea. I've, I've gotten a little more optimistic on that front. But then, conversely, the United States West Coast, with you know Seattle and San Francisco being particularly hard hit, uh, and now that we have you know the the border closed between the U.S. and Canada. Um, that that's a really big concern. Now, you know, they're saying, you know, okay, there's no people allowed across, but we you know we're still going to allow goods to move back and forth. Still, you know, there's going to be delays. You know, there, there has to be you know checks in place. It's it's still going to you know clog up and slow down activity. Um, you're still going to see demand in the United States uh, falling off. Um, so you know, those customers disappearing. Brennan, how, how about the the housing market in the U.S.? What what are you guys anticipating? It's 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 certainly not a repeat of the last um, crisis. That you know this isn't a this isn't a, a housing focused or housing caused recession um, like we had last time around. Um, as I said, you know there, there's still always concerns about. You know, the housing market, given, you know, like I said before, the deterioration in uh, the labor market, you know, one of the things also to mention, too, is that, you know, even though, you know, all the central banks of the world are pumping you know, unprecedented amounts of stimulus into the system, uh, you know, we just had the Federal Reserve announce this morning that they're going with infinite quantitative easing. Uh, it It really hasn't it hasn't brought down mortgage rates. In fact, mortgage rates have actually you know, spiked up um, you know, because you know, investors have fears that, you know, why, why am I going to buy these mortgage-backed securities if I think that you know, the consumers that borrow that money, you know, they might default. Um, and also, banks are in a bit of a panic. You know, they're trying to hoard cash to stay liquid. Uh, so they're a little you know, hesitant to, to be lending out money. Um, in in terms of, I mean, you, you got to think too. Like in terms of, you know, directly on the real estate market, um, it, it's got to be. I mean, if you work in, you know, if you're a realtor, it, it's got to be tough right now. If there's no open house, you're not going to have an open house. You know, you're not going to have showings. Um, people aren't going to have the confidence to, you know, want to take out a, a giant mortgage or, or make you know a big expenditure on a new house or, or a new car. We just also, you also have to think always about like the precautionary motive that given just the uncertainty about how this is going to unfold, you know, people hoard food from the, people hoard food from the grocery store. Um, you know, people are going to be hoarding cash and not wanting to spend it because that's the rational economic reaction. You know, I, if I don't know if I'm going to have my job in three months, 
I'm not going to be, you know, spending as much as I was, you know, three months ago. Right, right. Brennan, maybe two questions about timelines. Uh, the first question is, when you guys are, are analyzing the data, what are you using for timelines in terms of the economy shutting down? And then the second question is, what does this recession look like in terms of timelines for recovery? In our current baseline forecast, uh, we have the economy turning a quarter, uh, turning a corner in, you know, uh, like late third quarter. Um, so we, we think this thing crests sometime in the fall um, and, and the infections start to go down and, and people start getting back to work and, and unemployment uh, starts to peak. It's, it's, it's really hard as an economist. You know, I'm, I'm not an epidemiologist. I, I, I don't have a great grasp of, you know, how fast you know, the infection would spread or, or ultimately what that means. So as far as you know, when we're trying to advise clients right now, we're, we're trying to be very clear about what our assumptions are. And if we alter those assumptions, you know, how does that change the profile of the economy? Um, but right now we're, we're, we're primarily operating on assumptions and producing a lot of alternative scenarios where we say, okay, you know, what, what if, what if we turn it up a notch and, and make it a little worse? You know, what if we turn it up a notch and make it a little worse? Um, that's, that's sort of the best we can do right now to try to understand the, the distribution of risk. So if I understand you're thinking press in the fall, uh, everybody kind of back to work in in sometime in the fall uh, where there's a little bit uh, of optimism. The, what does it take in your mind? Like we, you mentioned infinite quantitative easing uh, in the U.S. And, and Canada's taken some emergency measures as well. Um, what, what does it take to kind of kickstart an economy that, like in my mind, it's it's the strange part about this is it will it's almost like it's frozen in time for potentially three to six months, uh, or the oil is out of the engine. Um, you know what it, what is it going to take to kind of get it back up and running? It's it's in the hands of policymakers right now. I mean, normally in a recession we think about okay we have you know central banks setting monetary policy they're going to provide some help. We have fiscal policymakers and they're they're going to send out some checks. They're, they're going to spend money. They're going to help people out. Yeah, which really makes this unique as opposed to like different recessions. And then we also have this, you know, the public health response that, you know, we, we need to bend the curve down. We need, we need to curtail, you know, the number of new infections. And so there's this, there's this third component where governments are, are really being tested. And um, it's, it's very, I mean, what makes it so disheartening right now um, is that, particularly in the United States, uh, the public health response has, has so far seemed really inadequate. Um, a shortage of uh, supplies for healthcare workers, uh, you know, tests being unavailable. And in that environment, that's what, that's what I'm talking about. It, it creates this immense amount of uncertainty. You know, it's certainly people would feel a lot more secure if they could just get in their car and they could go down to the local pharmacy and there was drive-through testing and, and, you know, they could get checked out and, you know, feel reassured that, you know, okay, I'm, I'm still healthy. You know, everything's okay. Um, it's, it's really just this, this crazy environment of uncertainty. So 
uh, until, you know, until we really see, you know, the, the, a more forceful uh, and successful public health response, um, I'm, as I, I was sort of trying to be a little more uh, cautious before that, I think we're still operating on a lot of assumptions and it's really hard to say how bad things are going to get um, until we get our, until we wrap our heads around that. Was there a worst case scenario that, that, that you guys, uh, that you guys used? Um, yeah, we, we produced a, a severe pandemic scenario. Um, it, it, I, I think, I, you know, the problem is we did it two weeks ago and now the severe pandemic is, right. is looking a little too optimistic. I mean, it's, it's, we have to be sober though. I mean, we, we can't engage in, in too much, you know, doom saying. So I, I don't want to give the listeners the impression, like I said before that, you know, it's, it's the end times is upon us. Uh, if, 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 I mean, if history is any guide, I mean, if so we want to go back in time, you know, what's, What's the worst it's ever gotten? Um, I mean, even when you have to go back to the Great Depression to try to you know, look at those numbers and see how bad things could get. Uh, yeah, I mean, then you're talking about unemployment rates of, you know, 25%. It's just truly you know, scary things. Um, but I, I don't want to suggest at all that, you know, this is a, this is a repeat of the Great Depression. Um, it, it, it's our view that, that, the, the probability of that is, is, is extremely low um, because one of that, one of the things we have to think about too was, as I sort of mentioned before, one of the things that made the great depression so great was that the public policy response was the exact opposite of what you wanted to do. The central banks at the time were concerned about inflation for some reason. So <laughs> they actually, you know, they actually shrunk the money supply um, you know, they tried to stick to the gold standard. And also, like, you know, like Her- Herbert Hoover in the United States, you know, he thought it, it wasn't the federal government's job to, to help people out, that, you know, it, it's not the federal government's role. So, I mean, one of the things we're seeing is clearly a, a more robust uh, public policy response, um, at least on the monetary front and, and probably more and more on the fiscal front. Um, I know, you know, Prime Minister Trudeau unveiled his plan for uh, a stimulus package um, equal to about 3% of GDP. Um, that, that's really big. It's, it's not going to be the end of it, though. It, it's certainly not going to be the last uh, you know, thing they try to do to, to right the ship. So the reason I'm not going toward those, those Great Depression numbers that, that we've seen floating around um, is because the, the public policy response is completely different this time. And the worse it gets, you know, the more robust we would expect the response to be. It, you know, you've kind of talked a little bit about the the Vancouver real estate market here with, you know, um, best uh, best forecast projection of 9% unemployment, which which means a 20% decline um, in housing in housing prices here. Um, and obviously, as we've talked about, it's a it seems like every day uh, the situation's changing here, but if if it crests in the fall, um, that's kind of the six months out projection, right? Like we're, we kind of turn a corner. What is in in terms of this recession and and the length of it? Like what what is best guess on where we're at in a year, uh, kind of three to five years 
Uh, can you talk a little bit about how how long this this uh, this COVID recession lasts? Yeah, as I think as I said before, our, our current best guess is that the economy uh, continues to contract uh, through through twenty through twenty twenty. Um, so you know, it, it, we finally bottom out in the fourth quarter of twenty twenty. Uh, the the unemployment in the labor market uh, tends to be a lagging indicator, so it tends to you know bottom out slightly after GDP does. So that's probably we would probably say like unemployment peaks, uh, you know, somewhere in the first half of like 2021. We would you know maybe think about uh, the housing market maybe bottoming out around that same time too. Since House, as I talked about before, house prices track closely with employment and income. Um, you're, you're, you're right. Sort of, that, that's the sort of like maybe the short run discussion, you know, just thinking about the business cycle. There is a whole other discussion, which I think we haven't really gotten into at all, which is you know, how, how is the economy, you know, permanently changed from this? You know, is, is there still going to be a cruise ship industry? You know, what, what is the airline industry going to look like? Now, now certainly, I think we would deem like, you know, airlines are a you know, systematically important industry. Um, you, you can't not have airports and airplanes and things of that sort. So ultimately, they, they, they would need some rescue package. But it's, once again, sort of drawing that parallel back to the last recession in the 2008 crisis, um, where you saw coming out of that, you, you saw a transformation in the economy. Um, there, you know, there, there are debates about the policies and the choices that were made during that crisis uh, that, that are still affecting us today. One thing about uh, recessions in, in the business cycle is they tend to speed up the, the structural transformation of the economy. Because if you think about sort of those maybe those weak businesses that were sort of barely hanging on, um, they're, they, they get wiped out and then they don't come back. Brennan, maybe, you know, in just, in just thinking about um, some of the regions that, that we've highlighted here that are most vulnerable and thinking about, you know, cities that are, are global cities in, in North America, you know, one thing that comes to mind is that uh, real estate prices in these markets have been increasing dramatically over the last, you know, uh, 10 years or so. Um, in just thinking about the debt-to-asset ratios in these cities, does that situate them better to, 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 to outlast a recession? And, and will that potentially um, allow prices to, to perhaps uh, be more resilient in, in terms of house prices? That's a really tough question. I... As I said, I, I think the economic pain is going to be more acutely felt in these global cities. Actually, sort of on, on, a, on, a, on a side note, you know, one thing I want to touch on in this regard is that there's, there, there, there's you can sort of have, there's two, there's two minds about this. Because on one hand, you know, you're more modern, you're more, you know, globally interconnected city. You have better healthcare resources. Um, you know, presumably have you know higher quality institutions. Um, so you know, having those higher quality institutions, you know, more modern healthcare systems, you know, th- those should help blunt some of the the damage of the public health crisis. 
which, you know, you would contrast with another thing we sort of have like, you know, touched on thinking about this, you know, pandemic more globally. Um, we, we are increasingly concerned about countries that have, you know, poorer institutional quality, uh, you know, weaker right. health systems. Uh, countries like Iran and Brazil, um, where you know maybe we're we're really only seeing you know the, the beginnings of something that's going to be you know much much worse. Um, you know certainly in poor countries they don't they don't have the healthcare resources um, because you, know, you think about you know other outbreaks that have occurred. You know to take you know like the Ebola outbreak in Africa for example. Um, you know that required a lot of intervention from you know foreign healthcare workers from the United States, Canada, and Europe. You know traveling there and helping, you know, work on, on the, the epidemic. Um, it's, it's sort of clear at the moment now that there's a lot of, you know, every country for themselves, you know, in the United States, Canada, we're dealing with, you know, immense problems. It's, there's sort of no one to spare to, you know, offer assistance elsewhere. So there's a whole, there's a whole global aspect um, to this whole thing. But, you know, thinking about, you know, getting back to your questions, that's sort of thinking about, you know, Vancouver and San Francisco and these global cities. I'm I'm optimistic about their resilience. Um, you know, maybe you know, may, maybe some people start to question the wisdom of you know living in a tiny apartment in Vancouver uh, now that they're you know preparing to spend you know the next month you know locked up in it or something like that. Um, so you know, there, there can I think to some degree you know there might be a shift in consumers' preferences and and you know rethinking. You know, going through this crisis and thinking about, you know, is, is, is a densely populated city, you know, maybe really the place I want to live. Um, on the other hand, you know, just with, you know, the, the evolution of, you know, the U.S. and the Canadian economy, you know, the, the growth of tech, you know, the, the move into services, um, it, it seems still that, you know, those cities are going, you know, the, the, those industries are going to favor, um, you know, the cosmopolitan, you know, the major cities. So there are countervailing forces, but I, I would say, you know, ultimately taking a long-term view, I'm not, you know, I'm not being, I'm, I'm still fairly optimistic about uh, these cities still being the engines of growth. It, it's it's so interesting because we've, I feel like, spent the last um, four or five years, however long we've done this podcast, celebrating, you know, density and the share economy and, uh you know, bike share and everything else, public transportation. And, and it's, uh, yeah. it's an interesting moment in which, uh, you know, people we know hold up in, in condo uh, high rises downtown where, where there are, you know, signs in the elevator where there's active cases in the building. And, um, you know, it's a terrifying moment for a lot of people. And uh, we didn't, we didn't think of pandemic these past four or five yeah. years. I think we forgot that. Um, but it is an interesting time for sure. Yeah. yeah I would say on a, on a, on a personal note, my, um, my wife is eight months pregnant with twins. Ooh. So dealing with the normal stresses of, you know, expecting a child, then expecting two children and then going to have two children in the middle of, you know, a pandemic and, you know, none of the grandparents can come. No one's going to be here to help us. So, yeah, it's like struggling a lot at the moment. No kidding. And you're, we should have asked at the beginning, Brendan, but I know you're from Boston or the Boston area. Where, where are you? Where are you right now? In Pitt, in so Philadelphia? I'm currently, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm currently in Philadelphia. So 
it's 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 not too bad in Philadelphia right now. Um, you know, things are pretty okay. But the problem is, you know, just looking, you know, an hour north uh, at New York City, where is the epicenter of the crisis in the United States? It's you know, it's obviously a little unsettling to be that close. Right. Yeah. No kidding. Maybe maybe as a final question here, uh, I'm just interested in in you know we were kind of uh, obsessively following the the uh, the Democratic um, the primary process that seems to have went by the wayside, and um, and I was struck this morning. I was looking at the New York Times where they were saying. You know that that um, you know in times like this, it's we've often thought about global cooperation, but it actually seems like you know the the United States and China are you know wrestling for for power, and um, you know and they cited the Trump crossing out COVID and writing Chinese virus uh, uh, as an example. What and being in the business of forecasting, I guess, what are your thoughts on the on, on your guys' upcoming election? Not necessarily the logistics of how it's going to happen, but but what the outcome is going to be. I, you know, I, I think you know. Previously, we had been putting together, uh, you know, and Moody's we do a sort of political forecast for the elections, where you know we we take the economic data and say, you know, based on the economic data, you know, who do we project to win? Uh, back as you know, recently as you know, December, um, we were project we were projecting that Donald Trump was going to re- win re-election. Stock market, you know, historic gains. You know, unemployment record low. Um, you know, gas prices pretty low. Uh, you know, you know, people people vote according to those pocketbook issues. Right. Um, so, given the evolution of everything that's happened, uh, it's it's only fair to you know speculate that yeah you know donald trump's chances of of winning re-election uh, are significantly diminished you know sort of as i mentioned before thinking about you know it, it, it takes it's going to take a while before unemployment peaks and so it, with some of like you know some of the in terms of the labor market some of its darkest days will be coming just around election time and once again using history as our example we have to think that it's, it's the 2008 financial crisis also coincided with an election in the United States, and the Republicans, the the, the incumbent party, ended up getting wiped out in that election. Uh, Barack Obama was elected. The Democrats took control of the House and the Senate. So the you know the turning of the business cycle, you know, the, the change in the economy uh, has manifest effects on. And people's political considerations. So I, I would say that you know Donald Trump's reelection probability uh, has fallen considerably as a result of this. Well, maybe maybe we'll leave it on a on a note of optimism then, and uh, <laughs> silver lining. <laughs> and, um, uh, how, how, Brendan, how how can people uh, find out more about you and and your work, and of course Moody's Analytics? Yes, I mean, we've been putting together like a lot of great analysis on this. Like I talked about, you know, we're, we're running scenarios, you know, trying to try to think about that distribution of, you know, where the economy is headed. Uh, if you want to read more of this analysis, go to economy.com. Uh, you'll see some articles by me, our chief economist, Mark Zandi, um, our team of like hundreds of economists. You know, we're all really focused on this issue and, and putting together a lot of um, insightful stuff. So economy.com. 
Well, well, thanks again for taking the time today, Brendan. We 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 really appreciate you coming back, and uh, yeah, hopefully you're staying safe. Yeah, no kidding. Stay safe and and uh, best of luck. It sounds like uh, you're in uh, you're in for ex- a couple of exciting months here. You might you might turn us down next time we ask you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Well, don't, don't you don't have to wait a year to you know invite me back. <laughs> no, we, we we can't we can't wait to we'll have to check in and and see how see how the, the economy is going here uh, in the next few months. Okay. But best of luck for sure with that, and uh, and thanks again. Oh uh, yeah, So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Brendan Lacerda, Associate Director and Senior Economist with Moody's Analytics. Really enjoyed that conversation with Brendan, Matt. Um, lots of useful analysis, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of takeaways for people. Yeah, I mean, I like how he's uh, obviously big picture, uh, but able to drill down um, as he knows the local the local scene as well here in Vancouver. And uh, a little terrifying, actually, that the global cities, you know, the cities that have been booming for so long are actually... And it's true, right? The virus is hitting uh, places like Vancouver a lot harder than than some of the the less outward facing uh, urban centers. But uh, but yeah, not not great news for for cities like Vancouver. But uh, hopefully, we'll get through it. You know, it's funny. Like, and I think this is the the feeling for a lot of people, and also for a lot of regions, is this uh, this idea that it won't happen to us. Um, you know, uh, and it's, it's obviously a feeling right now where it is happening. And I think there's a bit of a, a shock and awe kind of phase happening, especially in Vancouver, where I think people are, are not realizing the magnitude of this and, um, and also not perhaps taking it as seriously as they should be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so what else do we got here, Adam, before we, we cut for the day, uh, well, Matt, we're doing a lot of content right now. We're trying to get out two interviews a week here to keep people posted. We're having a lot of conversations with people right now, just wondering what's happening with the with the market, with the economy. Um, so, of course, we are always available if you do want to reach out. Matt, how can people get a hold of you? Well, I would encourage you to go to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. That's where all the information is and uh, and sign up over there. But you can always give me a shout at 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also got that secret line barricaded in a basement somewhere. Yeah, the the Super Mario line. Well, hopefully everybody's uh, getting caught up with family and, uh, and uh, yeah, having seen some positives come out of this, uh, these trying times and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Look for the silver lining and uh, stay safe, Vancouver. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, 
Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. 